Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. Monique Mulligan is a Perth-based author, interviewer and founder of the Stories on Stage program. She is a former journalist, news editor and publisher who combines her work at an arts centre with freelance editing and novel writing. Her debut novel, Wherever You Go, is due to be released shortly by Pilyara Press. And let me say, listeners, it's a novel you will need to keep the tissues handy for. Beautifully written, poignant and heart-achingly real in its portrayal of grief and guilt, this stunning novel will have you wondering how you would cope in the same situation. So I'm thrilled to be chatting to Monique on the podcast today. Hi, Monique. Hi, Claudine. And thank you for those beautiful words you've just you know I don't think I need to do anything more now <laughs> well I think <laughs> listeners might be a bit short-changed by that <laughs> it might be you can have a marketing job <laughs> <laughs> oh terrific well I just wanted to say congratulations on a wonderful debut very exciting times for you ahead yeah it, it is it's it's kind of feels a little bit surreal still I think because it's it's been a dream for such a long time so to actually be at that point where readers are starting to read it and and comment is is just an incredible feeling. Yeah so are you excited about the release? Nervous? Apprehensive? Somebody asked me this question the other day and I said I'm terrifyingly excited. You're putting a piece of yourself out for for people to read and to comment and to dissect and you have no control over it once you once you let go of that book so you're in such a position of vulnerability and and of course it's always terrifying to be vulnerable but on the other hand i'm i'm really excited to say i did this you know it's done Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled for you. Now, as I said to you before we started recording, I read your book in one sitting. I was thoroughly invested in the story, the characters, the dilemma they faced. It was gut-wrenching, but ultimately an uplifting tale. So could you tell me what inspired you to write this story? Well, thank you for saying all of those lovely words, Claudine. That, That means a lot to me. But inspiration for me didn't come just from from one place the the first thing i guess i would say is the quote wherever you go which forms the title it was a quote i heard a long time ago and that really resonated with me on a personal level and i always knew i wanted to explore wherever you go there you are it's a quote by john kabat-zinn i wanted to explore that in more detail so that was one starting point i guess i suppose the tangible kind of inspiration was an article where a family had a a, a terrible you know traumatic event happened to them and it was one of those events that makes you hold on to your children and squeeze them tight even though they're teenagers and don't want it Mm -hmm. and say what if this happened to us what if what if what if these things happened and then what what would happen to to our marriage if something terrible happened to us like this how do you get past that so that was probably that biggest starting point from me so for those who are yet to read it can you tell me a little bit more about the story it's a story of a couple amy and matt bennett who have been through a life-changing unimaginably horrible event and they 
need to try to work on their marriage. So with that in mind, they take themselves off to a small country town to give themselves a, a fresh start in, in life together, if that's even possible, because when the book starts, they're not really in, in the best space. And they, they arrive in this town called Blackwood with two competing goals, and one of them wants to escape from, from everything, and the other one really is hopeful that it's time to, to start to move forward. And what happens with their story is they arrive there and of course things don't go to plan for them. Amy starts a cafe, she starts to make friends and to settle into the town, but the more she settles in, the more unsettled her husband becomes. Grief and guilt are two very large themes that you tackle in this book and you've explored mm -hmm. grief from different angles and different perspectives. And I know most people have experienced grief in some form over their lives, but this is a particular kind of grief. So how did you get into this headspace? That's a really, really good question. It's not something I have personally experienced. Mm. And I can say I can say at the outset, because it's revealed very early, it, it's to do with the loss of a child. So I haven't experienced that particular thing in my life. And I'm grateful every day that I haven't. But one of my close friends has. In fact, this, this young woman was 24. She had bowel cancer. She was also my son's girlfriend. While I was writing this book, you know, I was watching this family go through something incredibly difficult and confronting and watching my son and seeing all of the different reactions that they were having. But I've also spoken with people who have experienced this kind of grief. I've looked at other people who've lost partners and and then there's the grief that comes from a broken down relationship so I, i'm a people watcher most writers are i think you can't write without looking at people and so i was really trying to bring all of those different feelings and observations together and put myself in that in that place of what does this what would this feel like so you know there's that aspect of imagination this is what i think it might feel like and then there's, there's that real grief that you see from other people. But the thing about grief is that it's, it's different for everyone, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. it's never the same thing. And, and some people experience it very, very obviously. Their grief is, is all over them in, in their, their every word they say. And others, you, you may not be able to tell immediately. Others, it's... it's there in the way they hold themselves when they walk or in what they do and don't do in their life. And I just found that whole feeling of grief and expression of grief to be fascinating and I wanted to explore that so much more. To get into the headspace of a couple experiencing it, you know, involved sitting down at the computer and really just trying to, to pull myself there. It's, it's like you're an actor and and the one part, as a writer, you're a director and directing how the story goes. But then when you're writing certain parts, you have to try to close your eyes and think, this is how it feels for this character. As you said, different people react in different ways to grief. For Amy, she wore her grief like a cloak around her. She sort of mm -hmm. wrapped herself up in that grief. And whilst I definitely could relate and empathise with Amy and her struggle to come to terms with her loss mm -hmm. and guilt, yeah. I, found, I found that it was Matt's struggle that affected me the most. Yeah. Do you think it's because we expect men to be stronger somehow? I think so. And Matt's a really fascinating character because the male readers I've had of this book have all been 
very drawn to Matt's story. It was really affirming to me to find that they they felt his grief in such mm-hmm. a strong way because it, it meant that I'd, I'd captured a male character really well. And as you know, that can be that can be really hard to do. Mm. And I think you're right. I think there's that idea that the male has to be strong. And I think Matt does try to be strong through through this. And he's strong for such a long time. But what it leads to for him is this, this feeling of incomplete grief because he's never allowed to grieve. When that happens to you in life, you know, whether it's grief or something else, it all catches up, doesn't it? It's, it comes back to that wherever you go, there you are. It will catch you up at some point and that's what happens to Matt. He's, he's Amy's rock for such a long time, but eventually he can't do that anymore. But I'm a mother of three children and so I can definitely, definitely put myself in Amy's shoes and feel what she is feeling. But I think for me the fact that Matt stayed strong for so long and he was just battling his own demons and, and nobody saw that. Nobody was ever clued into the fact that he was mm. struggling this way really affected me. Incredibly well done. Thank you. So cooking is another very big theme in this book. And for any foodies out there, this book will have you salivating and planning your next dinner party, COVID restrictions permitting, of course. Amy is a chef and cooking for her is therapeutic. It's how she finds her way back to herself. It's also how she expresses love for Matt and for the people she cares about, isn't it? It, it really is. It, you know, at, at the start of, of the book, you you meet Amy and she isn't really that interested in cooking anymore and you get the sense that she probably hasn't done a lot of it for a few years but you also can see that in the past it was such a big thing for her and so she she moves into this house and and there's this beautifully renovated kitchen that Matt has set up for her that he hopes will sort of inspire that spark once more Mm. and gradually this spark does come back to her and she starts to remember cooking things like cakes for Matt's birthday and thinking when did I do that last and she opens a cafe and she starts to have dinner parties with friends and these dinner parties as you say they're 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 feasts aren't they they're these these I really had a lot of fun writing I bet you did (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, she, for, for her, food is, is her way of showing love. You're right about that. She can't often use her words in the way that are helpful. Um, she's probably scared of saying the wrong thing. And so she, she cooks for people and she says, this is how I feel about you. Here's a beautiful feast. Here's a beautiful cake. I can really relate to that, that part of Amy. She's very different to me in a lot of ways, but I, I certainly love to cook feasts for the people in my life and to spoil them with food and you know, if I was Greek, I would be that, that, that nonna saying, you know, take this home, you're too skinny, eat this food. <laughs> well, I know you're a foodie because I've seen your social media accounts. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, was it important to you to explore food as a theme in the book? It was, and that comes back to that inspiration as well. It, for, for me, the food aspect started before I even was writing this book. My family would say I went through this little stage of being obsessed with Italian food and and the Italian way of life and having never been to Italy at this particular time I was around 40 just had my birthday so maybe it was that milestone year and and dreaming of traveling and so I started to just cook all this Italian food but I didn't want to make food that was Australian Italian I wanted to be as authentic as I possibly could and you know, sometimes I wished I, I had those nonnas and those people who could show me how to make sugo and all these sauces and, you know, 
get the tomato sauce going, things like that. That led to me cooking these these feasts. I'd say, well, tonight's Italian night and there'd be all these Italian foods from the first course, you know, all the way through to the desserts. And, and the kids, again, would say, you're obsessed, but I noticed they ate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then that spread to Greek and to French and I would just have such a good time. But even the music had to match the food and I had to try to set up the table the way I thought it might be. And so I don't know, it was just a way of expressing something that was important to me, but really spoiling the people with, with this food, but also challenging myself. So then that worked its way into writing. I love food fiction. There's just something about it, you know, reading people's descriptions of food can, can be really powerful. And so I wanted something like that too. Yeah, but I did have a bone to pick with you as someone who married a Greek, but with a Middle yeah. Eastern background. What did I do wrong? I was going to take issue with some of the items on Amy's Greek-themed supper, but <laughs> luckily Amy herself explained to the guests that falafel is not Greek, um, nor is hummus, I might add, even though they do like to claim it as theirs. It's a bit like the origins of the pavlova debate that rages between Aussies and Kiwis. Yeah, it is. And, and I, you know, I know there's going to be somebody who's going to you know, pick that up and say, oh, you know, I wouldn't have put that on that menu with this because this is really a finger food. And I'm just like, well, look, this is what oh, I no. has. Oh, no, that, that's cool. But on a serious note, I really loved that these dinner parties, which Amy calls around the world supper club, that these dinner parties throw light on some of the darker themes in this book um, and act as a conduit for some of the other characters in the book to get to know one another. That was really important to me because as you're writing something like this it's it's such a a bleak topic isn't it death mm. and grief and and guilt and that all those burdens that that we shoulder in those moments of our lives sometimes those moments of lightness are so they can be fleeting but they are really important and yeah. these scenes were important to just break it a little bit just to give people you know, had a little bit of a cry, you need to have a little bit of a laugh now or maybe have a cup of tea or something like that. But as a reader, you need to have those sort of up and down flow within, within the story. And so food to me was the perfect way to do that. Well, it's very inspirational. I'm sure you'll have a lot of people out there <laughs> running to, to plan their next dinner party, as I said earlier. I hope they send me photos. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. We'd have to create a new hashtag for it. I think so. <laughs> but I also noticed that this is a subtitle of your book on the cover. You've got, you know, wherever you go around the world, Supper Club. Does this mean you're planning more books with the same characters or around this particular theme? I am. I am hoping to write two more. I've started the second one and it's called The Story You Tell and it's featuring a different character. So in... in Wherever you go, there's a character called Bonnie who lives next door to Amy and Matt, mm -hmm. and she's a single mother. So this next book, I'm hoping will be her story and will explore some of the issues in her life that you, you know, might not be aware of in the telling of wherever you go. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get to see more of Matt and Amy. Uh, yes, that's the plan. You'll see, you'll see them, but they won't be the, the main characters in this story. Now, this book is told not only from Matt and Amy's perspective, but we also have Irene, their elderly mm. neighbour, who's also Bonnie's grandmother. So can you tell me about your inspiration for Irene and why she's important to this story? That's another really good question. I think Irene initially was 
like an, a helper, I suppose, or a protector for Amy. That's how I wrote her in the earlier drafts of this, this book. She just popped into my head when I was taking Amy for a walk into Blackwood and she was walking up and down these hills and was almost in town and this lovely older woman popped her head up from her garden and she had a straw hat on and, and these long silvery plaits. And she says, hello there. And, and this friendship sort of slowly begins. And in further rewrites of the book, I moved Irene next door to Amy and it took a little while for them to, to actually meet each other. And the reason for that was my editor was very clear that each point of view had to work to deserve a place in the story. Mm. And she felt that in my earlier versions, Irene was a lovely character. She really liked Irene. In fact, she thought Irene could have her own book. She, she felt that Irene was really just there to, to solve Amy's problem. And so I needed to give Irene her own problem, her own story arc. Yeah. And that was a really good thing for me to learn. And the same thing happens with Matt, actually. You know, Matt was there, but he was always there as that supporter of Amy, the, even though he he struggled, I needed to give him more problems to begin with so that he had that that story development happening the whole way through. I loved Irene. I thought she was a brilliant character. I really loved her. And, and I think when the suggestion was, was maybe maybe you should not have Irene's point of view, I just thought, no, oh, no. Irene has to be in this story. <laughs> and you know, I'm going to make, you know, I will work hard to make sure she deserves her place in this story. And so, you know, she moves next door to Amy and suddenly her dreams of travel are thwarted by an unexpected request and and so her story takes off from there. So Monique, if there was one thing you wanted readers to take away from this book, what would it be? It's one of those questions, isn't it, where you there's so many different answers you could have. I don't think I set out to to say this is what I want readers to think about or to to mull over afterwards. But I guess it's probably to remember that grief has many shapes and to, to value the different ways that grief can come out in people, to not weigh and measure people's grief against your own or project it onto other people. Because sometimes it's easy to say, oh, you know, if that happened to me, I would act like this. And I've heard that many times before and I guess I'd really like people to just think grief is a really fluid emotion and it's different for all of us. I'd also like them to uh, go and make something to eat. That's the <laughs> Go and make something to eat and, yeah. uh, you know, just enjoy. Enjoy the simple things of food and friendship and, and community. I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and, I mean, we can't do that as much now. And I think people might really be yearning for that to happen again and maybe we'll see more of those things happening. Monique, you're no stranger to the publishing world with past experience as a publisher with Serenity Press and three children's picture books already out in the world. So why leap into the novel writing and why now? I always, the novel writing was always where I wanted to go. I think picture books were more of an opportunity for me and because I was involved with Serenity Press at the time, so I had that opportunity and I took that opportunity. Mm. And they were books I'd written years before, back when my children were young. And so they were sitting, I call it the drawer of, of shattered dreams. And <laughs> <laughs> I think we've one? all got one. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think all writers have one of these drawers. And they were sitting there and, and, and I took them out and 
did some some rewriting of all of those manuscripts and eventually had them in in publishable condition and yeah took that opportunity but what I wanted to do was to write a novel you know I've written some short romances some rom-coms and they were fun to write but again they didn't really reach into the part of me that wants to tell stories so this this was something that you know I was working on the children's books in the background and and working in the publishing area for a while there but pushing away at this novel and really trying to to focus on that because I want to write more I want to write for adults and explore different themes and different places I just I'm not very good at uh, putting myself into one genre. So my other manuscripts I've written are completely different to, yeah. to wherever you go. I guess that's something I'll have to, I'll have to work out as I go. Mm. But wherever you go was just a very strong story that I knew I, I had, to, had to tell somehow. Somehow it was going to get published. Now, Pugliara Press, the publisher behind this book, is a relatively mm-hmm. new indie publisher, established mm-hmm. only in 2018. So can you tell mm-hmm. me about it and your involvement? Pugliara Press is a collective of authors who have, many of them have been traditionally published before and have decided to take back the control of, of their, their publishing journey. So they formed this core group of four at the time. They formed back in 2018 and started to, I guess, work on work on getting the rights back for their books and getting their books re, uh, republished through Puyara Press. But what sets them apart is through this this press so essentially you're i suppose self-publishing but you're going through the exact same process as you would in a bigger publishing house so i was invited to be part of puyara press almost exactly a year ago now and it was right when i was thinking i was going to to give up and say this book is just not going to happen you know I don't know how to make it happen I don't have the money to pay for multiple editors and and because I wanted to go through that editing process and I needed to and and so Pilyara Press came along at the right time and took me on board and I helped with their proofreading and their their social media and their website and things like that so everybody has a skill to offer you you know, there's, there's no point coming along and being part of a collective if you have nothing to give back to the people within that collective. So some of us have strengths in editing, some have strengths in copy editing or the actual publishing process, getting the book formatted and, and uploaded and all of those aspects of publishing. So each book goes through that structural edit, then the copy edit, then it goes through proofreading, you know, very we've got a fantastic proofreader, Desney, and we take, I suppose, control of how we want that book to get out in the world. We're so excited. I think there's a really good team and some some fantastic talent there. And it's just a different way of doing things uh, where, where, you know, we, st- we do have that control over, over where our books go and, and how they come out. And no, you don't have the marketing power that, that a bigger publishing house might have. But you, you have this, this team of people who are all helping to make your book the best it can possibly be. And I'm so grateful to, to have had this opportunity to be part of the team because I've learnt a lot through this process. I've learnt how to write conflict, which is something I really didn't understand to start with. I've learnt how to really tighten up and give those characters all 
all a problem to work on and and to make them work for their right to be in a story. I might not have had that if I hadn't gone through this process with them. Now, Monique, you have a blog, something that started out as a forum to review books, but has now morphed into a platform to showcase other writers and a place also to post writing-related tools. I wanted to ask you what inspires you to keep this going and to balance this along with all of your other commitments. You're right. The, the blog did start as a, a place to review books a long time ago. It was initially called Write Note Reviews. And so interestingly, the the people who are on Pilyara Press, several of those authors, which are Jennifer Scholar and Catherine Ledson, uh, Jen McLeod, I already knew them through reviewing their books years ago, right when they first started, they were debut novel, novelists. So that was really interesting to to sort of come full circle with them but reviewing books as you know it's a it's a really it's a long process it's a it's a lot of work you're getting once the publishers start sending you books you can get 30 40 books a month you know which is really exciting at first isn't it you get all these books you go my goodness look at all these books I've got so many um but then it becomes very quickly overwhelming. And so I had to find other ways of doing it. And now the reviewing side really isn't something I do. The keeping that alive, I guess it's it's not something I put as much work into it as I used to. I'm focusing probably more on social media, but I do like to have that platform for other writers because I think we all strengthen ourselves by helping each other. And if 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 I would like someone to help help me have a have a have a voice then I want to be able to help other people have a voice as well and maybe it can't be by reviewing anymore but it can be by saying would you like to write a guest post on this topic for my blog and I'll get it out there so I find that that good it's also acted as almost a almost a diary for for years not you know not in the true sense but where I've written about my writing journey and the struggles I've had at different times and tried to be upfront about how it feels to be rejected and the doubts that I've had at different times and what that's done to me. And yeah, sometimes little tips. It's just something I don't have as much time for as I used to. I've read lots of your blog posts and oh, really? <laughs> found them really inspiring at different times. And sometimes, yeah. you know, something lands in your inbox and it's exactly what you need to hear on that particular mm. day. You've had a terrible day or you've received a rejection or you've not written as many words as you wanted to write. And sometimes a blog post just comes along and says, this is just what everybody experiences and you've just got to keep going forward. And yeah. I find that very uh, comforting. That's so true because there's, there's sometimes this feeling as a writer that you, you can be very isolated so you you can sometimes think that you're the only one who's feeling these these feelings of rejection or doubt or um, confusion about where you should be going your direction but you're not you know all writers have rejections and they all have their drawer of shattered dreams and and they all have their days where they just think I can't I can't do this um, I'm even having that, you know, now with looking at writing a second book, I'm, I'm looking at the screen and thinking, how do you write a book? Mm. And yet I'm holding one, you know, or there's one sitting next to me, yeah. but I'm thinking, I don't know where to start. I, I don't know how to write a book, <laughs> but I'm not the only one. I do. <laughs> I clearly do. But, but I'm surely not the only person, the only writer who's ever sat down to write that second book and thought, I don't know where to start. 
And there's that pressure of the second novel. I think you probably need to get past, you know, launching this book out into the world and then you can find the impetus to sit there and actually write. You're not the first to say that to me. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear of writers who have these, these deadlines with publishers and so they're writing one book and they're editing another and then they're promoting another. I'm just in awe of writers who can do that. And I know they can work on this full time. And so they schedule their day to do that. But even so, like to have your head in three different books at one time, I find incredibly difficult. Something I need to learn is to not put the pressure on myself to produce something else, but to enjoy what I've made. COVID has disrupted so many events over the course of this year. But tell me about Stories on the Stage program in Perth. How did that come about? And what are your plans? for this in the near future? That came about when I changed jobs to work at an arts centre and that was probably about nine years ago now. I was working as a journalist, a news editor at the time and then moved moved sideways, I guess. Some people say it's to the dark side if you go to market <laughs> or something like that, but it's working in the arts and I'm, I'm really fortunate to, to have a job like that where I'm meeting a lot of creative people and... And I really enjoy the people who come into the centre where I work, just hearing their different stories when they come in. But the the art centre at the time was more focused on theatre and um, I guess the dramatic arts, performing arts. And I felt that it was lacking in something, delivering something for the, the literary arts. So I asked if I could set up a stories on stage schedule and they said yes and and that's where it started. And over the years, I've interviewed probably about 70 Australian authors. And most of them have been on, you know, on the stage. We, we have a supper. We have, we have you know, a, an in-conversation first, followed by a, sup, a question and answer, then a supper and, and a bit of a meet and a greet. And it's just been this lovely format that works really well in the, in the setting that we have. And where would I like it to go? We're looking at expanding that program so we will continue with the stories on stage, but I'd like to get some more open mic events coming in where it could be poetry. I'm even thinking of prose where people can write their short fiction or just read something from what they're working on and have two minutes with the mic to share their work. And I'm looking at some other spoken word events and things like that as well. So. Yeah, watch this space. Monique, there are many writers who listen to this podcast and given your experiences on both sides of the publishing fence, what tips could you offer to anyone out there looking to get their debut novel published? Great question. I think one of them is to find a good writing tribe, good writing community to be part of because, as I was saying earlier, when you're part of, of something like that, you can strengthen each other, you can learn from each other, you can support each other. So having... A group, whether it's a smaller group or a large group or, you know, at a writing centre or even on Facebook if, if that's, you know, where, where your best platform is, being part of a group where you can ask questions and feel safe to ask questions and you can grow, I think that's really important. Another one would be, this is a bit of a, a bugbear for me, but it's, it's not to rush the process, not to treat publishing, getting published as a race because I see that happen a lot and it frustrates me when I see writers publish before their, their book is actually ready. Mm. And 
we could talk about that for ages, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. There is a blog post uh, that I wrote on on that one, and I think I had to re like I wrote the first version I didn't share because I was a bit preachy. But <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's not usually me to be like that. I, I'm usually fairly <laughs> quiet about my opinions, but this one gets me a bit riled up because you know I, I value books and writing so much that it frustrates me when I see books being put out there that are clearly not ready for publication. So don't rush the process if you, if you can and get the support you can. And the other thing is just not to compare yourself to other people and, and to other writing journeys because, you know, it just steals your joy in what you're doing when you compare to what other people are doing and you're saying this person just got a contract because it happens, you know, when you look at Facebook you'll probably see all these people sharing photos of their contract signings and their launches and, you know, and my publisher just sent me this. And it's really easy and natural to feel a bit jealous about that and want a bit of that for yourself. But you need to not compare your journey. It's your journey. And sometimes some journeys are, are easier than others for, for different reasons, but they won't always be that way. Monique, if listeners wanted to find out more about you and your books, where could they find you? They can find me at my website, moniquemulligan.com. They can find me on Facebook at Monique Mulligan Author and also on Instagram at Monique Mulligan Author and I'm also sometimes on Twitter. Monique, I've had a fabulous time chatting with you today about your brand new book, Baby. I wish you every success with this novel and the others that will no doubt follow. Thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books. Thank you so much for having me. I just, I feel really honoured. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.